Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A new poll shows most Canadians want the government to impose further measures on the unvaccinated. Should Canadian truckers be exempt from COVID-19 mandates to help alleviate the supply chain crisis? Last week's massive snowstorm provided us with another glaring example of how ill-equipped we are when it comes to accessibility. Tensions continue to rise at the Russia-Ukraine border, and we take a spin on the GMH Roundtable with Paul and Shona. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about COVID-19 and the unvaccinated because there's a new poll that shows Canadians, many of them want the government to impose further measures on the unvaccinated population and some intriguing data about booster shots as well. Daryl Bricker is the president of Ipsos Public Affairs and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Daryl, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Interesting um, items in this latest Ipsos poll done exclusively for Global News. And um, maybe one of the first things we'll tackle is this growing skepticism about when or if the pandemic is going to end. What did you find? Yeah, this is something that uh, has been emerging over the space of the last several months where people just don't see an end to this happening anytime soon. Uh, And uh, the idea that it is really becoming a permanent part of our lives is starting to grow within the Canadian population. In fact, a majority of us now think that. And and that thinking uh, even translates into even if every eligible person got the shot, this thing may not end. Yeah, 67% saying that probably probably isn't going to end. And the reason is, I mean, people are watching this, this issue, Rick, like a hawk. So they know the numbers generally about uh, about the level of vaccination in various places like Hamilton or Toronto, where I'm sitting today, where we're, you know, busting up against 90 percent for everybody who's eligible uh, and we're still locked up. So if if vaccines were going to free us from that, if everybody got vaccinated, well, we're pretty close to everybody. So why are we still in this in this uh, situation, which is why people are coming to this type of a conclusion? Uh, whether they're right or not is not really the question. This is how they're feeling at the moment. One of the hot topics right now is the truckers vaccine mandate. Cross-border truckers who are unvaccinated have to quarantine uh, once they do across the border, whether they're going into the U.S. or into Canada, as both nations have that uh, vaccine mandate. In terms of mandatory vaccinations overall, a lot of Canadians are saying, yeah, we should do this. They say that we should do it, but they also believe that we should have some sort of accommodation. In fact, 51% of us say we should be working harder to find some sort of an accommodation for the unvaccinated. Now, those numbers over time have changed dramatically. If we, when we asked this question a year ago, there was very little uh, willingness to uh, accommodate people who weren't prepared to get vaccinated. So what's happening is even the consensus around that issue is starting to fray a bit. We're chatting about the latest COVID-19 related poll from Ipsos Public Affairs. President Daryl Bricker joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. In regards to the support for a mandatory vaccination, I was quite surprised to see the gap of support between men and women. Yeah, men are more likely to believe in mandatory vaccines than women. And it's interesting. You wonder why that would be. And when you take a look at uh, uh, the issue of long-term consequences, that's where women start to get a little, a little bit more uh, difficult on this issue. So um, it's, it's not surprising to me that you would see that discrepancy because when it comes to health issues, women tend to be a bit more focused on, uh, on some of the consequences. Now, it's an interesting trade-off because obviously there's health threats associated with the vaccine too. But on this one, it seems that men are more prepared to take the risk. Yeah, I think men are just plain uh, more impatient than women. That is, that is for sure. So they, <laughs> they want to see the end and maybe uh, they see that through a 
mandatory vaccination. New data regarding booster shots. These are some interesting statistics. Yeah, what we see is that most people say they would probably get a booster, but it's not as high as the level of people who are are um, currently um, uh, currently actually vaccinated. So we're seeing a bit of a decline in that. But also that uh, we're starting to see that um, people are questioning the longer-term consequences of this. So uh, it, it all kind of adds up into the situation where things that seem so certain, uh, you know, a few months ago are less certain for the public. And it's that lack of ability to actually move past this that makes people raise questions about things like, well, should I get another vaccine? Has or that, should there should there be uh, you know further restrictions on people? Yeah, has that sentiment around boosters changed, or are these numbers kind of the same as the last time around? No, they are they are changing. I mean, people have all where we start where we really had issues uh, with people asking a lot of questions about the vaccines were was at the very start, uh, where we saw people having uh, real concerns about the speed of which they were uh, they were created, and then what the longer term consequences would be. So we went through a certain period of trial things went pretty well. And so um, people were prepared to jump on board, and, and, and you see that in terms of, the, uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the level of vaccination right now. In fact, the, the issue previously was level of supply, not level of getting people to comply. But what's happening now is people are wondering why. why? <laughs> if I'm still locked up, this doesn't seem to be working. I'm now up to three, possibly contemplating for how many more. Uh, and whether they're right or wrong is not the issue. This is this is what they're feeling at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also feeling the heat, especially those in Quebec, because they're looking at a potential vaccine tax there as well. Yeah, and we and we asked people about that, whether or not they support it. And again, you know, very divided. You know, in the mid fifties or actually low fifties of the population saying, yeah, we should probably tax people who are, are not prepared to get vaccinated. But that still leaves fifty percent on the other side, and that's what we're seeing. This. Uh, this idea that um, you know everybody's in this together, everybody's feeling the same way, not as much as it was even a month ago. Great stuff, Daryl. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for sharing the numbers with us. Thanks for having me on. That's Daryl Bricker, president of Ipsos Public Affairs. 67%, quite a high number. 67% of Canadians agree, 20% strongly, 47 somewhat, that they are beginning to worry that even if everyone is vaccinated, it won't be enough to stop Omicron's progress. Even if everyone is vaccinated, the COVID-19 pandemic will continue to go on. The virus will continue to mutate, and we won't be any further ahead than at any other point over the last couple of years. That's quite sobering. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I've always said getting vaccination levels up, but also using rapid tests and other tools to to make sure products get to store shelves. That's what a government needs to do. And that's what we'll continue to advocate for. That is progressive conservative leader Aaron O'Toole repeating his call for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to lift the vaccination mandate for cross-border truckers. Similar story in the U.S., They have the same rule. If you are an unvaccinated cross-border trucker, you make the trip, you have to quarantine. Or get the shot, and you don't have to quarantine. Should Canadian truckers be exempt from COVID-19 mandates to help the supply chain crisis? It was our Twitter poll question yesterday, and it was Good Morning Hamilton's first ever 50-50 split. So today I'm asking you to share your thoughts. Do you support this Freedom Convoy that's going from B.C. 
to Ottawa on Saturday. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell phone. Should Canadian truckers be exempt from COVID-19 mandates as we all try our best to alleviate the supply chain crisis? In many cases, it's out of our hands. Are you behind the truckers or should they just get the shot? Just get the shot. Let me know. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. This is a tricky one because, you know, I want everyone to make their own choice. But the fact of the matter is there are consequences with the choices we make, whether it's getting the shot or doing whatever. There is consequences for whatever decision you make. You want to cheap out on a home renovation? Well, hey, there's going to be consequences with that. You're not going to get your children um, vaccinated against COVID-19? Well, there could be a consequence against that. And there might, there just might be. Do you support this Freedom Convoy? Should Canadian truckers be exempt from COVID-19 mandates to help the supply chain crisis? Joe has called into the program. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Not bad. How are you? I'm not too bad. What do you say? Are you are you for or against truckers being exempt? I say let them truckers roll because at the end of the day, the vaccine really only is for the person taking it. So that consequence that you had just mentioned for not getting the vaccine is something that they will take upon themselves. And um, so that's uh, let them roll. Let's get stuff on the shelves and deal with this ridiculous inflation crisis that our uh, illustrious leader has created. So, Joe, there is a consequence to the general society as well. I mean, people are ending up in hospital. You know, a trucker may... or. Never mind truckers. Anyone can be unvaccinated and, you know, end up in hospital. And now we're using resources to care for that individual. Yes, and that that individual has already paid for their resources via the taxes, the same as everybody else had. Very true. Very true. Joe, appreciate the call. Take care. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Yeah, that that trucker's paid taxes. Yes, that trucker has the right to say yes or no on the COVID-19 vaccination. If they get the virus, they'll end up in hospital. You know, hypothetically, they'll put a strain on the healthcare system. Not to say those who are vaccinated don't end up in the hospital because we're seeing that as well. But stats and data is showing us that those who are unvaccinated not only end up in hospital, but end up with those worst symptoms, end up on those ventilators, end up in the ICU, stay there a lot longer. Some of them are dying, so it is putting some pressure on the healthcare system, some unwanted pressure on the healthcare system. 905 645 3221 star 9900 on your cell. Do you support this freedom convoy? Should Canadian truckers be exempt from COVID mandates? all in an effort to help alleviate the supply chain crisis. You know, Prime Minister coming out saying, hey, listen, rules are in effect. You don't get vaccinated, you have to quarantine. Sean is on the line. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. What do you say? I'd say they should have the right to choose, just like everyone else. Uh, the government doesn't have a right to dictate what we do with our bodies. Um, people spoke for years. They weren't forced to uh, pay for medical services. Nothing about this uh, pandemic has been consistent. If the government wanted to 
really care for us, they would have shut down international travel when the virus started, but that persisted for a long time. Their policies and procedures have been very inconsistent and the medical research has been inconclusive. So if somebody wants to take the chance, I think let them. All right, thanks for the call, Sean. Thank you. Uh, And again, the government is not forcing the truckers to get the shot. What the government is saying is, listen, if you don't get the shot and you're a cross-border trucker, you have to quarantine. That, that is the, I guess, the penalty box, if you will. Uh, we will follow the Freedom Convoy as it rolls on to the nation's capital and culminates uh, in Ottawa on Saturday. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we know that last week we got absolutely lambasted by old man Winter. Oh, I'm shaking my fist at you, old man Winter. And that provided us with another glaring example of how ill-equipped we are when it comes to accessibility in this city. And not just this city, but many cities in this province. Anthony Frazina is the Director of Media Relations for the Ontario Disability Coalition and founder of Above and Beyond. And I call him my good friend as well. Anthony, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, I guess the more important question is, you know, after Hamilton got hammered, uh, you know, the hammer got hammered last last week by Old Man Winter. How did it impact you? Ah, uh, well, I unfortunately had to stay in. And being being hammered by the snow, it really is a takes into account a real life snapshot of how the snow does impact people with disabilities getting around. I have a a good friend of mine who was out uh, doing some grocery shopping after the snowfall, and an hour trip took him four hours to get home due to the hazardous conditions. Wow, that's insane. So you were stuck in your house, basically. Absolutely. You know, I didn't want to personally travel outside knowing that the conditions could be more of a, a problem for me. I hear your cat in the background. What What's your cat's name again? Uh, that's my cat, Quinn. Quinn, yes. Oh, he's chiming in. He, <laughs> he, he didn't uh, apparently he didn't like being stuck in the house with you all these times. No, <laughs> no, he's, he's wondering what I'm still doing here now. <laughs> so, talk about accessibility concerns when we do get a major snowstorm, because when we do, as as we learned, I mean, you're stuck in your home. Are, are you forced to make preparations when you hear that? Hey, here comes another blast of winter. Absolutely. I mean, I do. I know. I was out uh, the day prior, knowing that what was to expect be expected the day after I had made my errands the day before, but not everybody can do that. And we do need to be accountable as a city, as a municipality to be on point and ready to uh, plow the snow and get all the snow clear and make clear pathways, clear sidewalks, clear uh, roadways. So people uh, with disabilities can equally access what we need to access um, throughout the winter months as well. Let's take our listeners back to Monday. Uh, you'll recall that not only did we get a lot of snow, but the HSR buses got stuck. I think there was three or four of them on Main Street alone. Um, darts canceled its service. Snow plows buried sidewalks in snow. The odds are against everyone who relies on an accessible community when this happens. Pardon me? Sorry, I missed that. The, the, the odds are against you who, you know, you you need a safe and accessible place to get from, you know, store to store, run those errands, because all these things are happening at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, it's great that, you know, we have human kindness within our city to support people with disabilities that live in and around our surrounding areas. But we need the city to step up and ensure that we're clearing sidewalks and roadways and pathways 
clearly so that people with disabilities can equally get around. I know we had a lot of snow in there, piled up snow banks, but we need to push them back to keep uh, areas clear, uh, curb cuts clear, uh, sidewalks clear, roadways clear of all the remnants of snow that are, uh, that are around us. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Anthony Frazina, Director of Media Relations for the Ontario Disability Coalition and founder of Above and Beyond, talking about the after effects of last week's snowstorm and how many who rely on accessibility uh, just could not get around because, well, they, they didn't see the space opening up for them. Is, is the sidewalks perhaps the biggest thing that the city can do is clearing those sidewalks of the snow? Absolutely, and clearing them properly. Uh, the mandate right now is... When snow plows come through, they typically leave approximately a, a few millimeters uh, and they don't go directly down to the cement or pavement, which in and of itself is a hazardous uh, situation, not only for people with disabilities, but people in general, because there could be ice under the, the remnants of snow. We just need to be more proactive in clearing properly down to the cement, down to the asphalt, down to the uh, clear pavings so that... Uh, Anybody can get around uh, equally and make enough space for, you know, larger mobility devices to navigate the sidewalks, navigate the the pathways clearly and equitably. Did you hear from others who rely on accessibility on, you know, what what their reaction was to the latest storm? Was it, you know, here we go again or, yeah, I'm not going to be able to get outside? It, was that basically the sentiment? Absolutely. You know, the, the census is that, you know, on Monday, it was very, very difficult for many people with disabilities to get out to, for instance, I had a gentleman reach out to me who had t- acknowledged the fact that he needed to pick up his daughter from school, but the sidewalks in his area were not shoveled uh, properly. And his area and his pathway to get to the school was very hazardous. He had to essentially make a detour to to get to where he needed to be. Hmm. Are other cities doing a better job of this? Is, is Hamilton doing a, an okay job or, or, or not? I think we, we need to get better, to be perfectly honest with you. I think the census is here in Hamilton. We have the highest percentage of persons with disabilities per capita, greater than the provincial and national averages. And that needs to be heard. Our voices need to be heard when it comes to snow shoveling, snow removal, uh, through plowing and through our recommendations really do need to be uh, heard at a greater level and, and more so implemented in actions to ensure all people do get the equitable resources uh, that we deserve. Well, hopefully we can get the ball rolling, or at least in this case, maybe the snowball rolling in that regard. Anthony, as always, appreciate the time. Much appreciated, Rick. Thank you so much. Anthony Frasina, Director of Media Relations for the Ontario Disability Coalition and founder of Above and Beyond. As you heard, those who rely on an accessible community found it extremely hard um, during Monday's snowstorm. And, and why wouldn't they? It was absolutely debilitating for um, people walking around, people using a, a wheelchair, people um, driving around. It was an absolute uh, snowmageddon. Um, but there are some things that this city, as you heard from Anthony, can do a little bit better or a lot better in some regards to make uh, that space, that area, uh, a lot safer. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are extremely concerned uh, about 
the Russian aggression and the uh, ongoing threat of further invasion into Ukraine. Uh, that is why we've worked with our diplomats, uh, our uh, military in place and around the world to ensure uh, that we're doing everything we can whatever eventuality comes up. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau holding a three-day virtual retreat with his cabinet, and the number one item on the agenda is tensions at the Russia-Ukraine border. Yes, those tensions are escalating as we speak. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Thanks for joining us and making us a part of your morning on this day. Marcus Kolga is the founder of DisInfoWatch and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. As we know, this retreat is ongoing and cabinet ministers are weighing the pros and cons of sending military equipment to Ukraine. We know there is a special forces unit in that nation. What are the pros and cons of sending those aircraft or those vessels or those military weapons? Well, I think it's primarily uh, military weapons, defensive weapons. It could be anti-tank. It could be surface-to-air uh, weaponry that w- that would help uh, defend Ukrainian uh, sovereignty. The, uh, the cons are um, that um, you know I think that the the Russian embassy uh, in Ottawa uh, and the foreign ministry of uh, Putin's foreign ministry would probably make some noise. They would complain about it. Uh, they would uh, complain that uh, that Canada is escalating the situation, which is um, you know it's utter nonsense. Uh, Vladimir Putin has spent the past uh, Eight years um, engaged in a grinding war in eastern Ukraine. Let's not forget that in 2014, his forces invaded Crimea and illegally annexed it. And certainly over the past six months, he has engaged in a massive military escalation and mobilization on Russia's borders with Ukraine. There are well over 100,000 troops uh, now stationed on those borders. They're on high alert. They are ready to go at a moment's notice and attack Ukraine. Um, and so, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin will, will try to blame Canada for escalating that situation if we send, uh, send any sort of weaponry or support to Ukraine. Uh, the pro of, of doing so would signal to Vladimir Putin that the kind of uh, schoolyard bullying diplomacy that he's engaged in, you know, bashing about uh, the countries uh, that he borders, whether it's Belarus, Ukraine, Georgia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, the list goes on and on. Um, that he can no longer do this. And that Canada, along with our allies in the United Kingdom and the United States and the Baltic states, will, will, will support those who are facing his, his bullying. Um, and, uh, you know, sending, sending those forces or sending rather uh, defensive weaponry to Ukraine uh, also helps defend, uh, you know, democracy. Um, you know, this is a country, Ukraine, that is aspiring to, be, to become a full-fledged member of the community of Western democracies. Um, it wants to become a European nation. It, it aspires to become a member of NATO because it wants to uh, ensure that its, pe- its people can prosper um, in, in, in a free and open society. Um, you know, se- supporting that sort of an aspiration, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, this is something that Vladimir Putin completely abhors. He cannot stand, uh, stand it when uh, neighbors, former uh, countries occupied by the Soviet Union become prosperous democratic nations. And so, uh, you know, this is these are the stakes that we're involved in. And I, and I really do hope very much that 
the cabinet does decide to send that support to to Ukraine to support its democracy and its sovereignty. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marcus Kolga, founder of Disinfo Watch, senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Quite a big challenge for new Defense Minister Anita Anand to, um, you know, I, this is probably her first big kind of go round uh, with a major international issue. Yeah, no, it's uh, talk about getting thrown in the deep end. Uh, uh, this is uh, definitely going to be uh, a challenge and one that's unlike uh, any that I think the past, you know, probably 10 defense ministers have had to uh, take a look at. You know, the, like I said earlier, the, the stakes are, are truly high. And certainly Russia, countries like China, Iran, other authoritarian regimes are keeping a very close eye on how Canada and more broadly the West responds to this challenge. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of mentioned the fact that Vladimir Putin is a bit like a schoolyard bully, and, and he truly is, you know. Uh, right now, he's got Ukraine by the lapels. Um, he's shaking them down. Um, if we don't stand up to this, he will move on to other countries. China, who's keeping a very close eye on this, uh, obviously has its sights set on Taiwan. If we fail to stand up to Ukraine, um, it's entirely possible that China will try to take a similar approach to Taiwan, perhaps other countries in the region. So what we're seeing here is a real um, dramatic shift in geopolitics, a potential massive seismic shift, Um, not unlike the kind that we saw at the end of the Cold War, perhaps not even since the uh, end of the Second World War. And so Minister Anand really has her, her plate stacked up high. I know she's got her domestic issues that she needs to uh, she, she needs to deal with with regards to the Canadian armed forces but the bigger uh, challenge for her is is getting the Canadian armed forces back in the business of defending Canada working with our allies to defend uh, the alliance in general and rebuilding the forces um this is this is what she's going this is her biggest task and and hopefully she will be staffed with the proper resources uh in order to uh, to ensure that our forces are properly, um, uh, I wouldn't say rebuilt, but uh, built back and better uh, and prepared to defend us. Well, we're all hoping these tensions are quickly diffused at some point. Whether that uh, comes about remains to be seen. Marcus, really appreciate the time today. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Marcus Kolga, founder of DisinfoWatch and senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institutes. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that the Russian people do not want to see uh, Ukraine invaded, uh, do not want to see deaths uh, in a conflict that should be avoided. That's why we're calling on Russia to de-escalate, calling uh, on diplomatic conversations, uh, but reminding everyone that We stand with the Ukrainian people. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expressing support for Ukraine in light of the serious threat of another wave of Russian aggression in that country. Is conflict, more conflict in Ukraine on the horizon? Let's ask our next guest. Stephanie Carvin is her name, Associate Professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, former National Security Analyst for CSIS, and author of the new book Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Security. Stephanie, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Good morning. Um, good morning, Hamilton. Uh, Global Affairs Canada, we'll start with this, hit by a cyber attack. Many fingers being pointed at Russia. Is um, are we Can we expect more virtual assaults? Yeah, well, what's interesting here, and like I think we need to be careful, because 
Um, like there's a lot of different pieces here. So, yeah, I mean, what's really interesting, apparently on the, the day they discovered the attack was also the same day that the uh, Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, which is part of the communication security establishment, which is our uh, cyber spies, if you will, they had actually released a report or a notice saying that, you know, warning critical infrastructure operators that um, they were aware that Russian-affiliated hackers were infiltrating critical infrastructure, you know, cyber infrastructure uh, with, you know, the potential to cause malicious damage. And this followed um, similar warnings that had been issued in the United Kingdom as well as the United States. And what's interesting about that is that if you look at the um, different reports that the Cyber Center has released, and I encourage anyone to, to look at those reports, um, they actually warn, they say, well, we know that there are actors that are uh, infiltrating our critical infrastructure, um, you know, cyber systems, and we don't think that they're going to actually use, you know, uh, or, or cause damage outside of hostilities. But as, you know, we're having this conversation, there's the potential for hostilities. So Canada is seen as a country that is supporting Ukraine, that, you know, just sent their foreign minister to Ukraine, is is constantly speaking out about Ukraine. There is the potential for Russia to actually use um, its, its kind of um, cyber hackers to punish Canada for its support by attacking our critical infrastructure. This is something we've seen Russia do multiple times. So that's the first issue. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, the second issue, and happy to, to talk about any of this, but the second issue is that now we have found out that there was a cyber attack on Global Affairs Canada. We, I mean, I'm assuming it's an attack. They're calling it a cyber incident. Um, but basically what that, uh, you know, they're calling it a cyber incident. What I suspect is that there was some kind of uh, intrusion by a foreign actor. That seems to be what's implied in the language being used. Uh, I've had conversations with people in the government who were all kind of saying, yeah, it's probably a hack. Um, so it's probably a hack. Um, but we, we can't assume it's Russia uh, for a number of reasons. The first thing is there's no shortage of countries that are interested in our foreign affairs department, right? Like, I mean, uh, Iran, China, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, even India. I mean, these are all countries that have like really robust cyber capabilities and have an interest in knowing what Canada is actually up to. So it could be one of those countries and, you know, spot, you know, lots of countries trying to get into our cyber systems. But the timing here is, is interesting, right? While we're waiting for the technical analysis, you know, the cyber attack occurred or the cyber intrusion occurred while our foreign minister, Melanie Jolie, was actually in Ukraine, speaking out for Ukraine and these kinds of things. So there is a coincidence here, but, you know, it's really important in these kind of things that the correlation does not equal causation. Yeah, let me let me jump in because we only have a minute here, Stephanie. But Sorry. <laughs> no, no, hey, no problem. That, that was a great breakdown. We, we've heard that uh, NATO allies like Denmark and Spain are sending uh, military aircraft, vessels, weapons to Ukraine. Does this put pressure on Canada to follow suit or, or, or just are the anti-defense weapons that we're uh, contemplating sending? Is that going to be enough? We, there's other things that we can be doing in this space. I mean, like even just shoring up the Ukrainian financial system at this point, I think would be almost a bigger help to Ukraine. I think we should have cyber expertise. And certainly if there is any conflict that, um, you know, the information space is going to be 
uh, one area where, you know, that's going to be attacked. Canada should be supporting that. So I don't think our support necessarily has to be military support. I think it can also be in terms of, of cyber support, uh, financial support, um, and just trying to, like, keep the, you know, the, the thing that threatens Russia the most is the fact that Ukraine is a functional democracy on its border. Let's keep that democracy going however we can. Stephanie Carvin is her name, former national security analyst for CSIS, author of the new book Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Pick it up for your e-reader online or at your favorite bookstore. Stephanie, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Can you believe that it's two years ago today we got our first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Canada? Oh, so in some ways it's it's hard to believe, and in other ways it seems like it was 15 years ago today. Yeah. <laughs> like it was two years ago today we got the first case. Eh? Two years ago today, first Holy case confirmed man. at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. I, I, was, I was watching a video on YouTube yesterday, and... The the video the person said to me or said on the thing it's quite scary because there may be a case of COVID or coronavirus the mm-hmm. novel coronavirus yep. there may be a, the first case of the novel coronavirus here in Ontario we'll have to see what happens and I thought well uh, what happened was quite <laughs> quite the story it's a horror story yeah yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, time flies. Um, big story in the Eastern European region, uh, obviously Ukraine and Russia, tensions rising uh, along the border. What's your level of concern on this? Shona, you want to start on this one? They're so good at hacking, they could just take over the country's computers. Yeah, that's the new the new type of warfare, yeah. right? That virtual kind of warfare that we're seeing. Global Affairs Canada's um, uh, operations got hacked and many people pointing the finger to Russia. But these incursions, like you cannot let them get, get away with another Crimea. You just can't. Yeah. Because they've been looking towards Canada and the Northwest Passage and the Arctic. And they really want to have the North Pole, mostly for what can be found underneath. Yeah, uh, Santa Claus aside, yes, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff. Not up. Santa Claus. Even even Ireland quite concerned because yes. yeah, they're you know uh, Russia's saying hey, look at all our uh, fine military gear, and Ireland's like no thanks, you can uh, put it away now. Yeah. Paul, Paul, are yeah. you concerned? Well, I mean, I mean, I know Shona says you can get you can vol- involved in hacking, but they want that land. They want that land for their oil. Yeah, the yeah. oil that's in there, um, and they also want them. This has a lot to do with NATO. I mean, oil is one huge part of it, but yep. a lot a lot of this involves NATO and the fact that they are afraid that the Ukraine may try to join NATO or they're using this as a way to push NATO back from other areas. If they were to invade Ukraine, I mean, there's two countries that uh, Finland and Sweden are not as part of NATO, and a lot of people believe the minute if they were to go into Ukraine, Finland would join NATO immediately. immediately. So you'd lose, you'd lose the angle there. So here's my thing. As long as there are still negotiations with Russia involved in anybody, mm-hmm. whether it's the United States or whether it's with NATO or whether it's with Germany or with the other countries that are involved, as long as they're still talking, my fear level goes down. The minute those talks end, yeah. my fear level goes up. Yeah, I'm right with you because no news is usually bad news in this case because, yeah. yeah, when they're not talking, you know that they're planning, and usually that planning is not something we want to see. Uh, Entertainment Weekly has released its list of the top 25 TV themes of the 21st century. So this is 2000 and later. Number one on the list. I'm just a girl in love. La, 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 I can't be for my actions. She's an engineer. I have no 
underlying issues to address. I'm certifiably cute and adorably obsessed. They say love makes you crazy, therefore you can't call her crazy. Cause when you call her crazy, you're just calling her in love. Blam! Yeah, number one on the list is that popular sitcom Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Really? I've never even heard of this show. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm glad you had you played the entire thing for me because... Yeah. If when you started it, I had no idea what it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one. That's, That's the number it? one TV theme you know, of the 21st century. If you're doing a list and you come up with that as the number one, you got to quit doing lists because you do I, not have a talent in this. I field. agree. So th- number three was Succession, which has a great, oh, great yeah. theme song. Uh, number two, The OC and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I thought Game of Thrones would easily be number one. Like well, that was, you know, when you heard that, you thought, okay, let's go. Let's do this. It's, it's a symphony, and it had to be because they had the longest credits, I think, in <laughs> They had to show all the history. regions, right? <laughs> <laughs> the north and, yeah. Yeah, Shona knows that, uh, I mean, I said I've lo- I love the Succession theme song and the fact that that music plays in various forms yes. all yeah, the time the through yeah. the show with great use. I mean, it is... I, I just love the whole that whole music that's involved with Succession. I yeah. think it's fabulous. We actually got a tweet from uh, Rocco Rossi from uh, the Ontario Chamber of <laughs> yes. Commerce who says, hands down the Ventures theme for Hawaii Five O, which is not in the 21st century, but yeah, I, I, I get his. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to back then, I mean, I want to go with Hill Street Blues. I love oh, that iconic. One. I love yes. that one. You know. For sure. But, but Hawaii Five O is really good too, but that is the wrong century, Roscoe. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had Fat Albert, and that is certainly the wrong century too. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what threw me off when we were going in for a news tease and you said, here's my favorite. I'm thinking, um, I don't think that's this century. <laughs> yeah. Hard uh, to believe we're 22 years into this new century. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, last one for you. What food were you forced to eat as a kid and you still refuse to eat as an adult? My wife put this on Facebook the other day and her answer was salmon. Mine is liver. I mean, I, the, the worst food on the planet. I am with you. Yeah. Because... My mother was great at many, many things. Yes. Cooking liver was not among them. <laughs> is, is there a way to cook it to make it taste is good? There a, no, I don't even think there is. I would tell a story going back, goes back as a child. My mom actually was a really good cook. Um, and she, But, you know, like so many people, you try to save dollars and try to save mm-hmm. pennies and all that kind of thing. So she, we used to use, I guess, beef liver, um, but she tried these chicken livers and made this recipe. Well, it didn't matter. You could have created this entire thing around it. The chicken livers were still the base of it, so immediately it became the... We gave it to our dog, Frisky, who literally would eat anything, and Frisky looked at it, turned up, and went straight to the back door, like, I don't want to go near this stuff. It's it's like, I think there's a chef that you interviewed in London who has a restaurant that is uh, using marijuana or cannabis, Yeah, yeah, and it's like... That wouldn't help either. How are you going to (laughs) change or hide or complement that distinctive flavor? Yeah. Can't do it. Lever at the top of the list. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.